Well, good morning, everyone. Just uh, something so you know, if you're in the building, you might not have noticed that Pastor Werner is not here this morning. Uh, he's actually in Montjoli, Quebec, and yeah, let everyone catch up with me here. Yeah, Pastor Werner's in Montjoli, Quebec today. He's actually the regional director for the ACOP, the fellowship that our pastors are ordained with. And he's responsible for overseeing New Brunswick and the Atlantic provinces and Quebec. And he's actually up there uh, with a church there. And he's helping install a new pastor and helping give guidance to their leadership. And I just want to say, I am so excited that we're able to uh, be part of a church family that sends our team out not only to bless our city and our congregation, to bless, but to bless other churches and other congregations regionally and nationally and even internationally. Pastor Werner's got connections. And so... I just think that's awesome. I'm glad to see that. That's really good. Yeah. And uh, with the time zone difference, they're probably just starting. So if you want to whisper a short prayer for him as I preach this morning, uh, feel free to do that. He'd appreciate your support. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing with the series we have been doing in the Gospel of Luke called Exploring Jesus. And since January, we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke to get fresh eyes and freshly look at who Jesus is and what he's about. Our mission as a church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. And if we're going to inspire others and to remain inspired ourselves, it is essential that we keep a fresh view of Jesus in front of our eyes. And that's why we've been reading through the gospel. And if you've not been reading with us, or maybe you said, I meant to, or I started and I fell off and I forgot, or you're online and you're watching for the first time, you know, if you want to read with us, we're just one month and a few days before Easter. And what a, no better time to take some time to read the life of Jesus. In the coming weeks, we're going to read the Easter story. So if you want to read along with us, uh, you can go to ssc.church slash reading. We've got a reading guide. It's also on our Facebook page every Monday. You can take a look. We'd love to have you join with us in doing that. And so today, we're going to actually take a look at one of the readings from the Gospel of Luke that you will read this coming Thursday. And it actually, it's one of the more bizarre parables that Jesus teaches, sometimes a little bit confusing. So today, as we get ready to have the Gospel reading, rather than have me read and you stand, today we're going to watch it on video right now. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager 
because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I read this parable, it really, it's one of those, it's one of the hard ones to get your head on. It seems like Jesus is applauding, defrauding your boss. And so I'm like, is, is, that, is that what the point it is? Is ripping off my employer the right thing to do? Yes, Jesus, I, should I try and, you know, use my position dishonestly to get myself ahead? Here's the thing we have to remember, and we're going to try and focus in on what the point is, but Jesus uses this parable to teach us a right perspective on our mortality and our relationship with money. Let's recap the story. Okay, there's a, there's a rich man. Rich man is over here. This rich man has an employee over here. And the employee is approached by the rich man one day. And the rich man says, you've been wasteful. I hear that you're a wasteful guy. And so you're going to have to clear out your desk by about 5 o'clock today. You've got to get there. That's what's going to happen. And the, the employee over here goes, oh my goodness, I'm not going to have my job much longer and I'm, I don't want to do back-breaking work. What am I going to do because I won't have this job for long? And so he says, here's what I'll do. I will go to my, my the rich guy's debtors and I'm going to cut one of their bills in half and one of them by about 20%. I'm going to cut their bills and down so that they will like me and they will, you know, I'll look favorable to them. And then... Here's the funny part of the story. The rich guy hears about what the employee has done, and he says, that's a smart guy. Now, that's the weird part of the story right there. It's like, I'd be throwing the guy in jail. It's like, he's just ripped me off and cut a bunch of debts from behind. But what the story says, it says that he was shrewd. And what the word shrewd means, my kids are like, what's shrewd? Isn't that a little animal that runs around on the ground? No, that's a shrew. <laughs> Someone who's shrewd, the kind of word behind here means he's like wise, he's got street smarts, he kind of figured something out. So what Jesus is saying, and here's the key to understanding this parable, because it's a bizarre parable, and it doesn't sound like the kind of things you expect Jesus to say, is to understand that what Jesus is applauding is not the dishonest actions, not the manipulation. The key to interpreting this is found in Luke 16, verses 3 to 4. It says, The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm ashamed. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. 
And here's the part I want to underline. This is the interpretive key because it kind of, the idea here gets repeated later by Jesus. I know what I'll do so when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. The manager realizes he will not have his job much longer. And realizing that, he took action to prepare for when he didn't have the job still. Jesus unpacks this for his listeners in verse 9 when he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, and I underline this, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is communicating to his listeners that there is wisdom we gain in recognizing that at one point, our lives and our wealth will be gone. Wisdom comes when we recognize our mortality. There's a famous verse that's found in Psalms 90, verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The story about the servant is not a story about how to be dishonest and how to manipulate things. The story primarily is about communicating as Jesus says, this guy realized his time was limited, and because he realized his time was limited, he did something to prepare himself for what would come next. In the same way, God calls us to recognize that our days are numbered, and we need to be conscious that our days are numbered in order to use them appropriately. When I was thinking about this, my mind was drawn to something we do at our Baby D events we have at the church. When we have babies, and we like having babies, I've had enough babies, but you can have babies, and I'll be happy for you. Uh, but when we have babies at the church, we throw these special events where we gather the family and the extended family, and we bring them on stage, we pray for them, and then we have some food at the back, and we have a little talk, and it's just, it's really nice, and people cry, and people are happy, and we take pictures. But what we do at these special Baby D events when we're presenting children and blessing them is Pastor Heidi comes up and she does a talk and on the table in front of her she has these jars. There are four of them but my table is small so I only got two of them today. And what the whole gist of these jars are is to help us get a realization of how precious the time we have with our children is. In this jar right here, we have 936 marbles. I haven't lost them. They're in the jar. And each marble represents one week in a child's life from the age of birth to age 18. Basically, the idea is inside of this jar is represented how much time you have with your child before they graduate high school. All right? And so the idea was if you took one jar out, one marble out every week, you know, you'd kind of have a visual reminder of the time you have with your kids at that stage. This jar here has 208 marbles in it. This is what it's like when your child is in high school. When your child starts high school, this is the physical comparison as to how much time you have left while they're under your charge. Now, any parent will tell you, especially you older ones who have parents, you don't stop parenting when your kids leave high school, do you? No. But, but there is a truth that this is a precious window of time where there's a degree of influence you have unlike any other time in a child's life. 
And as for me, I am about halfway through this jar with my oldest daughter in high school. This is depressing. But here's the point. The idea, the reason we make these physical representations is to help us realize, the idea is simply this, when we realize the finite amount of something we have, we cherish it and treat it differently. You know, when we start off with our kids and they're little, we think they're going to be little forever. But then when they're in grade 10 and a half, which is where my daughter is now, I realize the time I have at this stage of influence in her life is getting shorter quickly. Hence, we're going to go on vacation and do something really good this year. Well, I can't. Like the steward in the story, like the employee in the story, we will all lose our jobs here. Our time is limited. Eventually, everything that we have been placed in charge of, our bodies, our attention, our affection, our property, our money, there will come a day that we will no longer be in charge of those things. And Jesus looks us in the eye and says, how are we using our worldly wealth? How are we using our riches? How are we using our time considering our mortality? And Jesus tells us that we are not to use our wealth just for today, but to use it in light of eternity. One of the illustrations that, that stu has stuck with me in preaching has been one that I heard when I was at Caton's Island Youth Camp. Which in the lane, you might remember this too. Back, we had Caton's Island Youth Camp back in the 90s. We had a guest speaker by the name of Brian Metzger who came to speak. And he spoke in the chapel at, and we were actually still in the cafeteria because they didn't have the chapel built at Caton's Island at that point. You know, it, it gives me hope as a preacher that people can remember something you preach, because I remember this from that long ago, although I'm discouraged as a preacher because there's so many messages I can't remember, even my own. Please remember the message today. It'll make me feel better. But this guy, Brian Metzger, told this one illustration. He says, what would it be like if we did this simple exercise? He said, I'd like to go around the world with like a little price tag gun. And on this price tag gun, I would have one of two things, and I'd label things with one of two labels, and I'd say, temporary or eternal. How would our perspective shift if we would look at everything we see, everything we see, and look at through this lens as to whether it is temporary and fleeting or whether it's eternal? The new car that I'm driving, I bought a car last year. Temporary, that's not it. <laughs> temporary. Nice shirts, good clothes, we go to the store. Temporary. The person sitting next to you, eternal. Bank balance, temporary. Nice food, fine dining, temporary. The cashier I met at the grocery store for just a minute last night, eternal. My house, your house. You spend so much time fixing and prodding and taking care of. Temporary. Television, entertainment, things we want to hear stories of. Temporary. Family members, eternal. My job, your job, hate to break it to you, it's temporary. This church building, temporary. The panhandler I meet in the street, 
eternal. Remembering what is of eternal significance shapes and transforms how we relate to our life today. And this perspective, having an eternal perspective, causes us to want to invest in the things that God cares about. Jesus says we are to use our wealth now so we're welcomed in the next life. And then he continues to say in 16 verses 10 to 12, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, the little, who will trust you with true riches? If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And what Jesus is saying is that the way that we manage and use the things he has given us now will influence how we can be entrusted with true riches when we enter into his kingdom. Now this is something that we don't talk about a whole lot, but before I want to get into it, I want to be very clear. The story of Jesus includes a promise that if we put our trust in what he has done, we are given the promise of eternal life with Jesus. Because Jesus has died on the cross, because of what we heard about at communion, because of what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, if we put our trust in Jesus, well, we have a confidence that we can be with God now, both now and forevermore. Romans 8 verses 1 to 2 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. But that does not mean that once we receive Jesus on our life, we're just basically on an earthly vacation waiting to get home to heaven. God takes our life seriously. Our lives are of consequence. They matter. Writing to believers, Paul, talking about how believers' actions are viewed by God, wrote this. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, part of it will be on the screen. It says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though as one escaping through the flames. You see, what's going to happen is one day God will look at our lives. He will look at how we've spent our time, how we've spent our resources, and he will say that there are things of value and things that were of no value. It reminds me of uh, something called Confederate currency. Does anyone have any Confederate currency kicking around? All right, if you don't know what Confederate currency is, our neighbors to the south in the United States a while ago had this thing called the Civil War. You may have heard of it. It's not the Avengers thing in the movie. It's, it's further back than that. But during the Civil War, the U.S. went to war against itself, primarily around issues surrounding slavery. The south says, we want to continue to own slaves. And the north says, no, you can't. There's some economic things tied in there too. But slavery was the big deal of it. And they fought a huge battle with each other. And at the end of the day, the North won, and slavery was abolished in the United States. But the people in the South, when they were separated, they created their own currency called Confederate currency. And they woke up one day. They had their own dollar bills, some of them on the screen right here. And they woke up after losing the war, and that currency was no longer worth anything. 
This is how they measured wealth. It's how they paid for things. It's how they recognized what was important and what was not. And one day they woke up and it was no longer worth what it was printed on. And the truth is, in our lives, there are things that we give our attention to, that we strive after, that we yearn for, that one day we'll wake up and God's kingdom will say, that was a complete waste of time. It had no value whatsoever. Now, when I hear something like this, the, the reaction I have can be like, oh, man, ain't this depressing? I'm wasting my life. But the flip side of this is there's a promise. There's a promise we have in Jesus. It's not just a threat. It's a promise because the flip side is that whatever we do for Christ and his kingdom, whatever we do that aligns with the things that God truly values, the things of eternity, they will never be overlooked. Jesus saying in Mark 9.41, it's a good spot for a water break here. Oh, now I'm going to choke on my water. <laughs> Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. The smallest things we do, the smallest investments we make, the smallest ways that we give towards what God truly values, these things are never overlooked by Christ, never overlooked when we come to his fullness in his life. Now here's the thing. How rewards work in heaven, honestly, we don't know a lot about. The Bible uses all kinds of illustrations. It talks about crowns and jewels. It talks about crowns of gold. But how do crowns of gold work in a place where it talks about the roads are paved with gold? It's like I got a crown of pavement, you know. The Bible uses these images to illustrate principles and ideas that help us understand. But here's the reality. I'm not sure how rewards work in a kingdom where the greatest person is the servant of all or where God's community reaches its ordained fullness, and where rich and poor are not as we see them in this world. But I know this much. I want to live my life, and I want to serve Jesus in such a way that when I meet him face to face, he says to me, as Jesus recites in the parable, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So here's the question. If we say, if Jesus is calling us to be stewards, be mindful of the time that we have and to use it well and to be mindful of the limited time we have or the resources he's entrusted us with, what are the things he cares about that he wants us to care about as well? I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but I'm going to mention two of them to you today. The first one is his kingdom. Proclaiming the news of his kingdom. Jesus called his disciples and said, you need to be ready to even abandon your family attachments and relationships if they get in the way of sharing the gospel. He says this in Matthew 19, 29. Jesus comes to proclaim the good news to a broken world that God loves you, that I have a purpose for you, that I am calling you to my kingdom, that you may find life and true life when brokenness and sin would seek to tear you apart. We are to pour out our lives for God's kingdom. And what he values. And let others know. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. It is our calling to be able to want to invest in poor lives and even our resources into those things. And then another thing, which sometimes we don't bring up all the time, but it's very evident if you're reading in the Gospel of Luke. 
One of the things Jesus values and wants us to care about with our resources is the poor. It's interesting, we just read this passage in Luke 16 about talking about being mindful of our resources and how we use them. And just a few verses down, we hear the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the story basically is a parable Jesus tells about how there's this guy who ignored the needs of the poor and when he, God comes to pour, look and judge his life and evaluate what's, evaluate what's valuable, he's found lacking because he did not care for the poor man Lazarus that died at his gate. Actually, this past week, I was reading in Luke 14, right at the dinner table with my kids. It says, when you throw a feast, don't just invite your friends and the people who can repay you. Invite the sick, the poor, the lame, the widow, the broken. God's kingdom cares about the poor. As a church, we are invested in issues around homelessness in our city. And some people say, ah, is that because that's just kind of the social thing to do? We need to be thinking about the kingdom and about heaven and about the gospel. And here's the reality. Homelessness and poverty is a kingdom issue on the lips of Jesus. You can't escape care for the poor when we read about what Jesus says. And that's why throughout the ages, Christians were the ones who established hospitals in different countries and around the world. The ones who fly medical supplies and assist people in need like Matt and Chandra did when they were with MAF. They, Christians are the ones who create the infrastructure to support caring for those who are in need. Christians are the ones who go out of their way to rescue people and seek cures for diseases and do research. Christians have been throughout history. What did they do in the book of Acts? They stood up and they proclaimed the good news of Jesus and then they created a feeding program for widows and sold things to help each other out. The kingdom of God involves how we care for those who are in need. And here's the thing, if we lose our perspective on eternity, we can forget about what God cares about and we're in danger. Luke 16, Jesus continues. The next verse, what does Jesus say in Luke 16, 13? No one can serve two masters. Either you will love one, hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In the next verse to this, I don't have it on the screen, it wasn't in the video, Jesus talks to some religious leaders, some religious leaders who loved money, and Jesus says this to them. He says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. And I'm going to be honest with you. I find I justify myself too. I justify the passion I have towards money because inside of money, I can find security. I can find... My desires seem to be satisfied. I find longing for more. And Jesus tells me and Jesus tells you that we cannot escape that a love of money can be a serious impediment to our desire to follow the ways of Jesus. We can't escape that. I would like to think it was not so, but deep inside of me, I know there are struggles I can have with my desire for material goods and wealth. 
There's a famous story of a rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I love you. I'm, I'm interested in the kingdom. I want to follow you. I want to do, what, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And he says, yeah, I've done that since I've been young. I, I've been zealous for you. And Jesus looks that young man in the eye, that particular young man, and he sees what's holding him back. And he says, I want you to sell everything you have and give to the poor, then follow me. And it says in Mark 10, 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Our love of money can cause us to struggle to follow Jesus because it can get a grip on our heart. Now, here's the caveat. Every pastor always says, now he didn't tell everybody to always sell everything they had. Oh, oh that's good. Thank goodness. I can still go to KFC after tonight. That's wonderful. But, but here's the thing. We can feel that struggle too because we're still called to use our mouth wisely. And the, I think this is the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God. When you take a look at the early church, there were people who had money. Don't get me wrong. There actually, it says Jesus was supported by a number of wealthy, you know, wives of people who had wealth or wealthy widows and they'd fund the entrance. And there are people who threw feasts and welcomed Jesus into his house and threw parties. And that came from some people who had money. But all of us are called to live and use our resources, our time, and our life in light of eternity. So the question is for us, how do we use our money wisely? And what I would say is this, is we need to be people who are ready and willing to invest in what God cares about. You know, I've been giving to the church. I did before I ever became a staff member because I believe in what it does. But here's the thing I want to say. If we want to loosen the grip of wealth and materialism in our hearts, Jesus actually has some really practical advice for us. He turned to his disciples. He turned to his disciples when they said, you know, don't worry about your clothes and don't worry about the things. God will provide for you. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. But then Jesus, at the end of that, in Luke 12, 33, says this, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes and no moth destroys. Jesus says simply to them, do this. Now notice it doesn't say sell all your possessions there, but it says sell your possessions and give to the poor. So I've got a really great practical exercise we can do this week. Sell something and give money to the poor. So how do I do that? Oh, it's never been easier in the history of the world. Do you have one of these? I'm not telling you to sell your phone. Some of you might need to. If you open up your phone and you have this thing called Facebook, there's this thing called Facebook Marketplace where you can go in your house today and you can go take a picture of something. And you just simply go, picture. I would like $5 for this bowl. And someone will send you a message and say, I will give you $4.50 for that bowl. <laughs> and then they will either e-transfer you the money or bring cash. There's this thing called cash. I have to show it to my kids to come down time to time. Anyway, and then you will have money and then you can give it to the poor. This is not just 
something Jesus put in the Bible. What a nice idea, just put in the Bible. People might want to sell their possessions. No, no. Following Jesus means, Jesus he told us in the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the things I commanded you. So, I'm serious. If you don't like Facebook Marketplace because you hate Facebook, there's this thing called Kijiji. There's all kinds of ways. If you need to, put a poster on your mailbox. Put a for sale sign in your car window or on your, I don't know, I'm not selling my microwave because I use it every day. But I'm going to find something in my, and you know what, the moment I said that I was, and thought about, I'm going to preach this. It's like, what the crap am I? What on earth am I going to sell in my house? Because it's like, I, because I looked at something and said, oh, I could sell that, but, but I don't want to sell that. Why don't I want to sell that? Because it gets a hold of me. See, this is a spiritual exercise. And I'm going to say, if you can't figure out what to sell or, or how to sell it, if that really confuses you, take it to seed the need and they'll sell it and give to people in, in Africa or in prisons. They'll, they'll do that for you. But I actually think there's a valuable exercise in taking something of yours, not your leftovers, not the sock with a hole in it, but something that has value, and selling it, and then seeing that money appear in your bank account. Because what happens, the moment we look at our bank balance, or we say, I will have something I want to do with that. I did, first, it begins by like, what am I going to give up that's value? Because I don't want to give up things. Because I love my things. My things are nice. I curated my things for a reason. And Jesus is saying, maybe that's why we need to break the bondage of some of these things in our hold, in our heart. You can't serve these things and serve God. Jesus isn't saying you can't have anything, but he says you can't serve them. And if you can't afford to let something go in your house, then maybe you're serving it. Maybe I'm serving it. So there you go. Didn't expect that when you came today, did you? <laughs> but here's the thing. Simply, we're following Jesus' lead. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus invites us to follow his way. Jesus abandoned his rights. He abandoned what was rightfully his. He abandons his position that he might come and die on the cross for us, that we might receive forgiveness, that we might receive life, that we might receive hope. And he says, if you want to receive true life, trust in me and follow me because true life is not found in serving wealth. True life is found in serving me. True life is found in sacrifice and in giving and loving, and stretching. The promise of life includes what we discover when we will follow his way. I have some good news for us today. Something I never noticed when I read this parable ever in the history of my life was that in the very first verse of the parable, it says that the employee was wasteful. And here's the thing I realized. The employee realized at one point, his time was short. And in a very short time, this employee did something 
to prepare for when he was done with his time. And the good news for us today is this, that Jesus speaks to us and says, there is an eternity that awaits us, something bigger, something even bigger than what will be in the next 10, 20, 30 years of your life. There's an eternity ahead of you, and you can turn things around. If you feel like when you hear this message, you say, oh, am I being wasteful? Have I been wasteful with my resources, with my time? It's not too late to make a change. It's not too late to experience the life God has for us. It's not too late to invest our wealth and our lives and our time in what God cares about. And if we make that change, the boss will look at us and say, that person's shrewd. They're wise. They got street smarts because they see what truly matters. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, this is one of those difficult parables, Jesus, but it's also a teaching that really cuts at our heart. It cut at mine. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd help me, that you'd help us to live with an eternal perspective, that we would see the things that you truly value. And the things you truly value are not the things of the people that you gave your life for. They're the kingdom that you seek to grow in the hearts and lives of people. God, they're the people who are in need around us. God, help us to see these things. And may we be rich and generous towards them. God, I pray this week that many of us will go home and we'll sell something. We'll give it to the poor. Maybe we'll give it to our care ministry here at the church where we try and help people who are struggling with homelessness. And if we don't feel comfortable giving it to the church, then God, I pray, we'll give it to the shelter or we'll give it to the soup kitchen or we'll give it to the food bank. But God, I pray in doing that, that it wouldn't be so that other people will see our Facebook marketplace post. But God, that as we take something of ours that we treasure and we give it to you, God, that you'll do something to our heart. You'd help us to love what you love. Jesus, you tell us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. God, as we make this small gesture, God, I pray you'd uproot things in us, that you'd help us to discover attachments in us that need to be confronted. Father, fill us with your spirit. We thank you that we do this, not to earn your favor, but because we seek to follow you. We seek to follow the way you lead, the way of sacrifice, the way of service, the way of life. We pray that we would choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. I hope you'll come back with us next week. Pastor Werner will be here. He's going to be talking on upsizing your prayer with practical tips on prayer. So now, go sell something. God bless you. <laughs>